Hello, it's 26th of January 2019 and this is episode 89 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And how has your week been, Rachel? It's been pretty cool. Um, it feels more like an Adam Driver week than a Star Wars week, <laughs> <laughs> for reasons that will become clear as we move into the news, um, but also because of those amazing publicity photos from Burn This, which are just to die for, and mm-hmm. that make me like so like, oh my god, I can't believe at least one half of this podcast is going to see the show, so yeah. Yeah, it's definitely getting me more excited to see it, and I, I saw on Twitter that it, those pictures, like tipped some people over the edge into actually buying tickets <laughs> yeah so they did their that. job yeah yeah no it's very effective salesmanship it's impressive um oh and i was thinking this is a, a serious thing but when you see the play would you be able to buy me a program i will pay you back oh of course yeah oh thank you so much <laughs> that is as long as it's filled with those kinds of pictures if it's just like dozens of those kinds of pictures it's like yes yes Look, yes yes i'm just saying that i booked my flights to um new york and chicago this week i got organized and everything's kind of set up for celebration now which i'm pretty relieved about because it was like in the back of my mind as something i wanted to do but then i was worried about how much everything would cost so i kept putting it off you know but i finally done it oh awesome yeah and when i booked to get from new york to chicago this will probably sound super obvious to americans who travel a lot domestically Mm. but i was shocked i only had to pay 80 dollars for that flight oh that's amazing wow that's so good so it is feasible for you to get to New York from Chicago, just saying, if you really wanted to see it. <laughs> Don't do that to me, Kirsty. <laughs> it's too cruel. Just saying. There is a possibility. I, I will legit confess, after that picture broke from Burn This, that I went onto the flight website and started looking up flights to New York online. <laughs> Um, and then I was like trying to tie it up and I was being like dear god by the time I've paid for the hotel and the flight and the theatre ticket this would cost almost as much as the entirety of Celebration <laughs> I guess it would all build up yeah yeah, exactly so it would get expensive fast one of my colleagues at work said like it might transfer to the West End you've got to have hope um, a bit like Gina so from Rogue One to keep it all relevant um, but yeah I'll believe it when I see it so yeah, I'm going to expect nothing, so I can only be pleasantly surprised. Maybe there'll be some like anonymous benefactor who's like, surprise, all expenses paid trip to New York. Woo. <laughs> so yeah, if yeah, anyone's listening dream. with like a million dollars or anything, yeah, please <laughs> feel free to create the benevolent fund. <laughs> Sorry, that's pushing it. Burn this aside, there's going to be lots of other Adam content this this year, so yeah, you you won't go without. No, exactly. I thought you were going to say this weekend. <laughs> Well, that's also true, because he's in Sundance, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He's in Sundance, and then tomorrow he's going to be at the SAG Awards. Because it's not like I don't know every movement that Adam Driver oh, This is like the Adam Driver podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, um, I think we should probably move on from this to stop well. it being the Adam Driver podcast. <laughs> You're going to um, oh- move into the news that is also about him. <laughs> oh, God. This is like some horrible trap, but I kind of enjoy being trapped, so it's fine. Um, Okay, so the actual news is that Star Wars has scored some big nominations at the 2019 Oscars. So yeah, Kirsty, would you like to explain what happened with Star Wars and the Oscars? Yeah, so both Adam Driver and Rich Lee Grant have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which 
we'd kind of predicted because they'd both been up for lots of other awards and that's kind of how it works everyone just kind of follows suit yeah um and then solo was nominated for visual effects as well yeah which was really great to see because i'd heard a while back that they had not been eligible for score because Mm. they hadn't submitted stuff in time or something (laughs) yeah Um, which is really disappointing because i think that score is amazing yeah but the visual effects are good too so good for ilm yeah no exactly so i think it's richly deserved for the visual effects it was a great looking film regardless of what anyone might think of it as a film as a whole um yeah and with the acting nominations it's so great to see all our star wars faves recognized um adam was obviously nominated for black clansman and richard e grant was nominated for can you ever forgive me um which is the melissa mccarthy film and I haven't seen Can You Ever Forgive Me, but I really want to because it sounds awesome. Have you heard of it, Kirsty? I've heard of it, but like you, I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list because apparently he's absolutely amazing in it. So Yeah, I've heard he's amazing and it just sounds like such an interesting story. Um, yeah, and we've both seen Black Klansman, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, love that movie. Yeah, no, which is a great, great movie. I really want to see it again, actually. So I saw it twice in cinemas, but not since. And yeah, this is just a really powerful performance. See, so is great. And Spike Lee was also nominated for director, which is fantastic. So that's his first Oscar nomination, which is yeah. wild to think about. I can't believe that, to be honest. I think that's a travesty in a way. He should yeah. have been nominated far earlier. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I, I think I pointed out to you, Kirsty, that he's literally been directing films since well before either of us were born. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like to only now be recognised. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, would you like to perhaps read out his quote about like his nomination and he also references speaking to Adam? Yeah, I don't know if you saw the video. If They, they posted a video, I think it was on Instagram, of them celebrating um, his family. And that was really oh, sweet. Oh, no, I didn't see that. I'll need to check that out later. Yeah. So Spike says, It's not something I've done in a long time. It was new, says Spike Lee with a laugh of getting up to watch the nominations. He was joined by his wife and kids and the dog Ginger to watch the nominations. We were all in the bed together and we were jumping up and down. It was a good day and my phone is blowing up. Lee's film earned six nominations, including his first for directing and best picture. He spoke with much of his crew this morning and also Adam Driver, who was nominated for supporting actor. He's shooting Star Wars in London, where they stopped production and the first AD assembled the cast and crew to congratulate Adam, he says. Today is filled with love. But at the same time, I was watching the news before it came on, and I can't think about the 800,000 Americans who are now living in a desperate time, and I think this film deals directly with that and all the other crazy shit that's happened in this country since Agent Orange. (laughs) (laughs) President Donald Trump got to the White House. That's such a vile thing, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, at this point, obviously, if anyone's paying attention to the news in America... They'll know that he's conceded to allow the government to open for at least the next three weeks. And hopefully, I don't know, they somehow expect to find a deal. But obviously, at the point when Spike was talking, the government was still in shutdown and it was the longest shutdown in history. Yeah. So, yeah, as he says, his film directly feeds into that because, yeah, it's Donald Trump. Yeah, no, it's such a powerful statement and I I love Spike. He just has no shits to give about being like nice in air quotes in these situations. He just says it how it is and I think that's so important and so necessary right now. So yeah, I'm glad he's such a straight talker. Um, 
Yeah, and it's a richly deserved nomination. And yeah, from our selfish, Star Wars obsessive vantage point, it's notable that Adam's still been filming Star Wars recently. So I presume that his filming period around then, that's the first time he's probably been filming since Christmas, because he's just been so busy with all these events that he probably hasn't been able to get back to London before now. Yeah, and it probably was just for a few days, because... As we were saying earlier, he's back in America with Sundance and the Saga Wars this weekend. Yes. Um, so maybe he goes straight back after that. Who knows? But yeah. it's kind of good to know that he's still filming. Because, yeah, I mean, there's been so much mystery around, obviously, that there's been basically nothing coming out of the production. Um, but we know that certain actors aren't working on anymore and yes. have been for a while. So I don't know. Yeah. From, from a Kylo fan's perspective, it's kind of encouraging to know that he still is. Yeah, no, exactly. And from what I understand, JJ tends to film roughly in the order in which the narrative plays out. So I think it's at very least safe to assume that Kylo plays a significant role into Act 3. Which, don't get me wrong, it's not a huge surprise. <laughs> it's not like Kylo is going to be cut down in Act 1 and then never heard from again. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god. Just the outrage would be, yeah, next level. Um, yes. Um, but that is not the case, and it's going to be lots of good Kylo content, so it's all good. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and then we also just have some quick comments from Richard E. Grant about his nomination. Uh, yeah, would you care to read that out, Kirsty? Sure. I was sitting at a restaurant in London with my daughter, and she had the live feed on her phone, and she gave me an earpiece to listen to it. We both simultaneously burst into tears when we found out, and I just couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. I literally feel like I am out of body levitating. My feet haven't touched the ground since, and I am absolutely overwhelmed by the generosity of the American Academy that I've been honoured with a nomination. It's beyond anything that I could have possibly expected. Oh, he's such a sweetie, isn't he? He is, yeah. He's, yeah, he's just got this lovely way of talking about things. He's very, very gracious and yeah. appreciative. Yeah, definitely. It's lovely. And he's so smiley and just lovely. Like, I love the videos he does on his Twitter. Mm. And I probably write back to them like he's like a five-year-old doing cute things. But I'm like, oh, you're so adorable, Richard. (laughs) He's like, I probably need to stop. He probably doesn't notice. But yeah, (laughs) he did like one of my tweets, though. Yeah, he is very active, actually, with, with people talking to him. So I'm sure he does read it. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, but yeah, no, it's all exciting stuff and it just further affirms that we have amazing talent working on our precious Star Wars films. So Didn't he make yeah. some other comments recently as well about Star Wars? Obviously very vague, but kind of talking about... Um, well, he confirmed that the character is new. Yes, right? you're right. Yeah, this was in an interview with the Radio Times, which I should have included in the notes, to be honest. I've been a bit naughty. Um, yeah, so it was in a Radio Times interview and he confirmed that the character he's playing is new and so no, not Thrawn or anything like that, which, yeah. Um, and he also just mentioned that there's going to be lots of big twists and surprises in the movie, which, yeah. again, it's Star Wars, so I'm not completely shocked by that. And there's almost nothing else we can say because it's like, could be anything. well I think he was also emphasizing how secretive everything's been which of course on one level we know because there's been basically nothing official apart from that first photo from JJ but also because we're into the age of like fake leaks and everything it's just a good thing to keep in mind 
and not get too carried away with what we do see. And yes. not, we have fun discussing stuff and it doesn't matter ultimately if it turns out not to be true because that's not really what it's about. But it's it's just good to keep in mind that even the actors are like, oh, I can't say anything. Like, yeah. And, you know, I might not have even read the whole story. So Yeah, no, exactly. It all sounds so super secretive and... Yeah, it's important not to be led astray by Reddit. And and that's a message to myself as much as anyone else, by the way, just to be clear. So no judgment here. <laughs> I judge myself first. I feel like a wet blanket because whenever you message me this stuff, I'm always like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Because you've got to keep expectations low. And then if anything is real, you can be pleasantly surprised later. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all good. Um, right, and then to move on to the next news item is that we have some actors and artists who are attending Star Celebration Chicago who've been revealed, along with the first event poster. Right, so let's get in for bouts of Rachel Ruins People's Names. So, first one we have is Eunice Suatamo who's Chewbacca in The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and Solo. Basically our new Chewbacca, so he's a big star. Sam Witwer, who's Darth Maul in The Clone Wars, Rebels, and Solo. Greg Grunberg, who's Snap Wexley in The Force Awakens, the icon and the true hero of that film. Well, he's um, going to be in episode nine as well, right? Yeah, I, I would think, expect I so. He's yeah. JJ's buddy, isn't he? So he, mm-hmm. comes, he goes wherever JJ goes. Um... <laughs> And then Dave Chapman, puppeteer for BB-8, Rio Durant, and Lady Proxima. Oh, wow, I didn't know he did all three of those characters. That's such a mm-hmm. random assembly. And then Greg Proops, who was Fode in The Phantom Menace, Jack Sivrak, and Gama in Resistance. Unfortunately, I do not know who those characters are off the top of my head. But yeah, do you know any of those It's because we're fake fans. Yeah, we're fake fans. We don't know every single extra with like one speaking line. <laughs> Uh, then we have Paul Casey, who plays the legend Elo Asti in The Force Awakens and Admiral Radus in Rogue One. Then we have Ian McElhinney, who's General Dodonna in Rogue One. And then Orly Shoshan, who's Shakti in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, so they're clearly assembling a wide variety of individuals. Because I know that a big part of celebration for many people is getting autographs and meet and greets and that sort of stuff. So I'm sure that lots of people with that area of interest will be excited about these names. Yeah, um, that's not something I tend to go in for personally. Mm. Like, I would like to meet Eunice just because he seems like a cool dude. Yes. And I really like his Chewy. Um, I think, well, yeah, at last celebration I met Mark Hamill, but in general it's not something I'm like too into. Yeah, same. Um, and it's so expensive, especially for the bigger names. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just cool to have some people announced, and I'm sure they'll keep announcing more as time goes on. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah, like if they were to announce someone like from the sequel trilogy, like John Boyega or Daisy or Adam, like I think all three of whom I think are extremely unlikely, <laughs> um, then I might be interested. But yeah. um, John was at Celebration Orlando doing photo ops. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, was, so. I'll have to consider that. It would depend on price, but if I could justify it according to my wallet then maybe <laughs> because i'm sure he'd charge a pretty penny and he's within his rights too he's one of the main stars so you can get group photos and split the cost between you that's what we did so. okay yeah that's smart yeah that would be a more cost effective way mm-hmm. 
Uh, yep, and then the only other thing to mention about Celebration at the moment is that there's a lovely new event poster, which is pretty sweet. Um, I'm I'm personally going to start reading the secrets of episode 9 into this image. Um, so I think this means that Darth Maul is Kylo's biological father, that Rey is um, a Kenobi slash Chewbacca, and that Yoda is the child of Rey and Kylo. What do you think? Uh, you forgot that Count Dooku is Snoke. Yes, oh god, yes, how did I forget that? Crap. Yeah, <laughs> Count so. Dooku is so big. <laughs> he really is. It's like I love it. it. It feels extremely disproportionate, doesn't it? Yeah, but that's why I enjoy this poster, because I've seen... I mean, that's the thing. It's like, there's, to an extent, this is like this random, just whoever looks good, they'll they'll put it there, because it's yeah. like they're all Star Wars characters and whatever, they just need to sum up the event. Yes. But I've seen all this discourse, like, this character's missing, this character's missing. I'm like, a lot of characters are missing. <laughs> and a lot of characters who are there, I'm like, random. should they be? <laughs> so, whatever. Yeah. It's just kind of for aesthetics. And they also want to represent all three trilogies. Yeah. So, because there's, there's no one here from the standalones. So, yes, that's true. That's also something. So, it's like, they're, you know, they're trying to sum up the saga. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, Dooku is literally slightly larger than Rain Kylo. Mm-hmm. So that that clearly means he's the key to all this. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> I love that Padme's right in the middle, and it and it's yes. Queen Amidala, Phantom Menace Padme as well. And yeah. I wonder if that was a conscious choice, being the twentieth anniversary. Yeah, and she's at the heart of the image. Padme mm-hmm. is the heart of the saga, which we all know know in our hearts. I always find it so funny when I see especially all the villains in like one collated image because it just makes me think about them all being like stuck in a room together and it just being like unimaginably awkward. <laughs> like of people like trying to find things to say and oh god yeah it just being cringe. Mm-hmm. I do like how Palpatine is like on that side but he's blue to look more like the hollows in, in the movie. I thought you were going to say to look like he's good, I was about to say. Well, no. He doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> He looks really bad, actually. He's gone through a rough time. Um, yeah, no, I agree. That's definitely what they were going for. And it's effective. It works. because It definitely evokes that. There's a bit of a weird Photoshop going on with Kylo's tiny arm. <laughs> oh, my God. You're so right. What the hell? I think they've tried to make it symmetrical with Ray's, but obviously he's a bigger oh, person, no. so... Oh, that's so bad. Oh, God, I hadn't noticed that until you pointed that out. That's really grim. You're welcome. Yeah. With that deep, deep and significant analysis of the Star Wars Celebration poster out of the way, um, we can move on to Alphabet Squadron because we have a new synopsis. Would you care to read that out, Kirsty? Okay. On the verge of victory in a brutal war, five New Republic pilots transform from hunted to hunters in this epic Star Wars adventure. Set after Return of the Jedi, Alphabet Squadron follows a unique team, each flying a different class of starfighter as they struggle to end the war once and for all. The Emperor is dead. His final weapon has been destroyed. The Imperial Army is in disarray. In the aftermath, Erika Quell, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it, but I don't actually know. That was a good attempt. Um, Go for it is just one of thousands of defectors from her former cords living in a deserted shantytown until she is selected to join Alphabet Squadron. Cobbled together from an eclectic assortment of pilots and starfighters, the five members of Alphabet are tasked by New Republic General Hera Syndulla herself. (gasps) 
<laughs> Sorry. Like Erika, each is a talented pilot struggling to find their place in a changing galaxy. Their mission, to track down and destroy the mysterious Shadow Wing, a lethal force of TIE fighters exacting bloody, reckless vengeance in the twilight of their reign. Ooh. It certainly makes me more interested than I was before. It's quite a compelling synopsis. Hmm. Like, for this sort of thing. Again, being realistic, I'm not sure I'll read it. But I'm interested, but definitely more so than I was before I realised what was going to happen in the book. So, yeah, like, it's... In- like, and I also like this continuing to go with this angle of looking at Imperials and specifically former Imperials and what happens to them after the downfall of the Empire. Because I think that's a really interesting area to explore because, yeah, there's lots of people out there. They can't all be, like, hunted down and put in prison, kind of. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cool to get something else that's kind of in that aftermath timeline. And yes. I mean, we know that just a few years later, the First Order was kind of already beginning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Ray Sloan goes off to the unknown regions with Hux and his dad and everything. And and that's where it all happens. But it's still mysterious. But, like, from the ashes of the Empire, which is what we're going to be seeing in this, that's kind of where that all comes from. Yeah. So... And if people like former Imperials are literally living in miserable circumstances in shanty towns, it's very easy to understand why they might be attracted to a cause like the First Order that offers them a chance of getting back everything they've lost. Mm. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see it like from the other perspective of someone like Erika who lived that life and is now like, oh, okay, I'm going to join the New Republic. Yeah, in this squadron with a really silly name. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just never going to get over it, though. I'm just, I'm really intrigued by these characters who switch sides like that. Yeah, same. Um, Obviously, it's different switching sides after the Emperor. <laughs> the Emperor has died. Yes, um, definitely. It's not like a, yeah. But, yeah, I just, I find that really interesting. Like, I really loved that about Iden Versio and Battlefront as well. Yeah. Um, And equally, like, characters like Sienna and Thane, who... Well, Thane switches sides, but Sienna doesn't, but still has that conflict. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, so. definitely. It allows for lots of exploration of that grey area, which we both like so much. And then the last thing that we want to discuss in the news section is that we have a bit of information on a new Darth Vader comic. And while we don't normally talk about the comics, this one was relevant to our interests. And so, yeah, we wanted to go into it a bit. So... Star Wars Vader, Dark Visions Free, engages an intriguing plotline. And this is the write-up for the issue. The star-crossed lover, Darth Vader, a name that strikes fear in the hearts of countless across the galaxy. But there is one lonely heart that beats just for him. What's it like to fall in love with Lord Vader? And what fate will befall one who is infatuated with the tall, dark mystery behind the mask? Dun dun dun. So yeah, what was your first reaction, Kirsty, when you saw the image and the synopsis attached to well, this? I'm definitely interested in it, but that last point, I am horribly worried that they're going to punish this woman for being attracted to Vader. Yeah, same. And in a misguided way that makes it kind of as if it's funny. And that will have all sorts of interesting ramifications for how Star Wars continues to perceive women and their sexuality. Yeah. Um, so, again, that might be me looking too much into it. Maybe there's nothing there. But I, I'm 
a little apprehensive. I love the image. Yeah. And I love the vibes of like one-sided gothic romance. I'm guessing that Vader doesn't return her affections because I mean that would open a whole other can of worms with the whole Padme <laughs> thing. Yes, exactly. That would be controversial to say the least, I think. Um but yeah, no, as a premise for a storyline, I think this is really fascinating. I presume this will be like a one-off comic rather than an ongoing type of thing. But yeah, like I think it has the potential to be very meta. And like you've pointed out, Kirsty, I think they need to be very careful about how they approach that sort of story. Because, yeah, let's face it, fangirls and specifically shippers, the people interested in like the romantic relationships of the Star Wars characters... They haven't always had the most fun time in Star Wars fandom. And I think there's lots of room for it to be read as an unfortunate comment on real life fangirls and people who enjoy that more like emotional romantic aspect of Star Wars. Like if they go about it in the wrong way. So I think there's really interesting ways to do this sort of plot line that aren't disrespectful or like mocking of people. But there's also lots of ways in which it could be a bit icky. Well, that's the thing, because, of course, the love story that we saw in the original trilogy between Vader and someone else was him and his son. Yes. And that saved him. Yes. So if they go a different route with him in something that's like, you know, a different kind of dynamic, it's sexual in nature, and the outcome is very different, and we're encouraged to laugh at this woman, like, in contrast to how we perceive Luke, um, I, I don't know. I'll, yeah. I'll obviously have more thoughts when we actually get it yeah exactly did you see anywhere when it's due to come out uh no i didn't yeah presumably in the next few weeks but yeah we will see um right and then the next thing we want to go into discussing is star wars resistance so there's been two episodes of this show since we last recorded and the first was bebo and yeah what did you think about bebo kirsty which was the first episode back after the long break I thought it was really sweet and a good choice for a first episode back, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of obvious what was happening because Bebo looked like the sea monster. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> oh, obviously it's his mom. Like, yeah. It took the characters a very long time to work that out. But. Yeah. It, it is always slightly annoying when you're working like five paces ahead of the characters. Well, but, yeah, it's yeah. just the nature of being an adult watching a kid's cartoon. Yeah, so. no, of course. Yeah, if, if you're like five, then it might be like, whoa, what? Probably not in that tone, but yeah. <laughs> Similar sentiment. Um, but yeah, no, like I agree with you. It was really adorable. And it's a nice message. I like messages that aren't about, that, that avoid having the story be about kill the beast. And instead about, oh, it just wants this baby. Like, it's been done a lot, but it's, yeah, just cute. And mm-hmm. it has, like, nice, wholesome implications, which I appreciate. And, yeah, there were a few nice little nuggets that I enjoyed. I liked seeing the children of Tahar back. Um, I know they both actually have names, but <laughs> for now it's just more convenient to call them the children of Tahar. So I'm going to keep on doing that. Um, yeah, they they struck me as kind of force sensitive in this episode of their like dreams and premonitions. Did you get that vibe? Definitely. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's meant to be misleading or if it is actually going to have some implications for later on. Yeah, but it it kind of added an extra layer to why their village might have been targeted by Kylo and then well, what I assume would be the Knights of Ren, but it, it could have been him with a troop of stormtroopers or something. Yeah. No, which is so in- in- interesting because, yeah, what are you doing after going after the first... Se- 
But why are you going after the force sensitive Kylo? What's up? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't know if that was like an intentional part of that, but it seems odd to like put that in here and then not go anywhere else with it. So. Yeah. Exactly. It seems like pretty we'll heavy see. foreshadowing. And this show's been really good at like sowing seeds that it picks up later. Like how they had that photo of Jaeger's family. And then obviously that becomes a huge plot point in the episode where we meet his brother. Mm-hmm. We got to see the shell folk again too. Yes. My precious. That's so really great. Sweet. Yeah, I, I think they realised they were onto a good thing with those creatures because they're just too wonderful to ignore. Mm-hmm. I liked seeing Sonara back as well. And I'm impressed by how long they're making the arc with her being undercover on the base. So I really thought that would just be like one or two episodes max. But they're making it more of a long-term sort of thing. And we're really seeing her bond with the people on the Colossus, which I like. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a dramatic reveal when that all finally comes to light. Yeah. Because they're all going to get quite attached to her. Yeah, exactly. It's like um, Kaz was even flirting with her in this episode. It's yeah. like, oh, you're so bad. <laughs> it's sweet, you know. Oh yeah, no, no, it's sweet. He's just like an amateur at everything. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being so judgmental of Kaz. It's me. I, think, I don't know. I I think people in general are kind of overly harsh on Kaz, but yeah, no, um... I have positive things to say about him for the next episode. <laughs> so it's like it's like a compliment sandwich. Okay. Okay. So I'll get to good things. Sorry, you, yeah. you say something about the episode. <laughs> well, I really loved that it was more of a Niku focus because yes. he's great as a supporting character. In my opinion, obviously, he's not for everyone. Um, but I, I don't know. I felt like he he was shown to be more. Um, he's really really caring. And yes. Was principled enough to be like, well, then I will leave if you're not welcoming of my friend, which was pretty admirable. So. Yeah, he stood up for himself, which is not something you see an awful lot with Niku. He kind of just, you know, goes with what other people want because he wants to be a people pleaser. But he cared so much about Bebo that he was like, "Well, if if he's not welcome, then I'm not welcome." So yeah, no, you're right. It showed that he had integrity, that he wasn't just a joke character. There was lots of uh, there was lots of other stuff going on, which was great. So yeah, so yeah, it was good a cute first episode. episode back. Exactly, it's very nice. Um. Yeah, and I've also seen it suggested that the fact that the aces couldn't deal effectively with the monster, that that might be picked up later on in terms of being like evidence that Dozer uses to say, well, look, you guys aren't protecting the base, so we need the First Order to do it. Oh, really? Yeah. That hadn't crossed my mind. Okay. I've seen that speculated. I certainly think it's possible. Hmm. Yeah, so we will see. Uh, yep, and then we have Dangerous Business. Um... Yeah, which I just quickly want to get my positivity about Kaz in there, just to prove that I don't hate him. Because I re- I do gen- sincerely like Kaz, and I think he's a good character. Um, But yeah, like I liked Kaz in this episode because they make a point of showing how much he's come on and how much like him advanced he is in terms of his um mechanical skills. Because he's really making progress with the fireball and he's not just being shouted out for being dumb and getting things wrong. He didn't mm-hmm. get it completely right, so he needed to be corrected, but it was it was in a more positive, purposeful way than the usual like, Oh Kaz, you're so dumb, you're so useless which Tam seems to do a lot of most of the time. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think like that, that showed some development for Tam as well, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. That it was it was kind of good for her to be like, But I appreciate that you were trying, you know? because. So so far, there hasn't been an awful lot of that. No, exactly. It's really good. Yeah, so what did you like most about this episode, Kirsty? Uh, Flicks and Orca, for sure. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And insecure BB-8, who was like, not sure if people liked him. <laughs> Which is like, are you kidding? You're BB-8. Everyone loves you. You're adorable. But yeah, Flix and Orca are great. And I liked that it was pretty much confirmed that they're a couple because people don't visit their friend's mum. Yes. Like, if they're going on a trip to see someone's parents, they're a couple. Yeah, exactly. Especially not in the way it was presented. It wasn't presented as like a casual thing. It was presented as like something that's very planned and yeah, part of their routine. And yeah, they're together, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's great. Like, I don't really have resistance ships, but if I had to name a ship in resistance, it would be Flix and Orca at this point. You like the cannon ships? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the fireball? No, like it is a cannon ship. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, I like the cannon ship that they're presenting, yeah. Which hopefully means it forms part of a pattern of my preferences. Um, Yeah, no, so it was mainly cute and commendable for the Flicks and Orca stuff for me. And the bit of progression we've got with Kaz. The plot as a whole, it didn't really engage me that much, to be honest. But again, it was fine. It was serviceable. It just didn't really add anything new. I thought it was kind of going in the direction of like, oh, wow, the First Order are clearly doing something big because they need all of this stuff. Yes. Obviously, we know what it is, but the characters don't, so. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's is clearly just part of the build-up again to the fact that something big is about to break for the First Order. And I think I'm just at the point now where I'm just like, right, yep. I'm good now. <laughs> Had lots of build yeah. up. I'm ready for it to happen. <laughs> it is funny because The Force Awakens was like four years ago for us now. So Yeah, exactly. I- I'm just impatient for it to catch up, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, well, obviously not great that the First Order take over the galaxy, but great in terms of <laughs> excitement for the plot, which I very mm-hmm. much look forward to. Yeah, the angst. Yes, exactly. Um yeah, and just a petty point is that I like and find amusing the chain of command in the First Order. It was a bit weird that he was like reporting to Pyre and then Pyre was like, well, now you've got to report to Phasma. I was like, isn't that a bit redundant? <laughs> yeah, so that's what I was Isn't the whole thinking. point that you would report to Phasma? Yeah, I was like, how does this management system work? It seems like a complete mess. It's not very efficient. Yeah, it's like so far I have it plotted out with Pyre, then Phasma, then Hux, then Snoke. And I'm sure there's lots of intermediaries between like Pyre and Phasma and Hux as well. I think only Hux gets access to Snoke. But yeah, it's just a mess, basically. It reminded me of working in like any big organisation, basically, with lots of bureaucracy and, oh no, you shouldn't come to this office, you should go to office like 42B and stuff. And it just seems like a logistical nightmare. Hmm. I don't have a ton of military knowledge, so I was kind of under the impression that the commander would report to Captain. Right. Like directly, because you know we've got Commander Poe Dameron. I mean, he reports directly to General Leia. So who the hell knows? <laughs> it's all a big mess. Basically. Yeah, it's what we get when we think too hard about our fantasy films. Because, well, is um, Poe is wait? I'm confused because when Poe's demoted in the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. is he gone from Captain to Commander then? I think he goes from Commander to Captain. Well, that's the other way around from the First Order then, because. Phasma's captain. Uh, <laughs> it's so confusing. Yeah, that's a bit weird. I mean, yeah. it's all made up, so who cares? But it's a bit <laughs> odd if it's like the other way around for the other organisation. Yeah, I think I'll have to consider like titling this episode Deep Thoughts on Chains of Command. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to say about Resistance? 
Um, not for now, but it's just because that that trailer was so amazing. Um, I was listening to Courtney um, mm-hmm. talk about the trailer on Who Talks First. Yeah. And she's spoken to her friend Brandon, who's obviously involved with Resistance. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that trailer was edited by Lucasfilm as opposed to Disney, who've done the rest of the promotional stuff for Resistance. Oh, right. Interesting. Um, I, I think that shows so- because it strikes such a vastly different tone. Yeah, I think the only problem is that with these episodes, as much as we're enjoying them, it's like, oh, but can you get to the amazing stuff that you showed us? Yes, exactly. It just makes everyone impatient, I think. So there's advantages and disadvantages to putting out a trailer that awesome, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm optimistic that things are really going to heat up next week. Have you seen the preview clip for next week's episode? Or the one that's showing tomorrow, actually? No, I haven't. So I don't have a clue what they're about. Okay, should I keep it a secret? No, you can tell me. They basically imply that the First Order are going to kidnap Tora to blackmail Dozer. Oh, wow. Yeah, which cool. definitely indicates the ramping up of the stakes. So, yeah, yeah we will see. It'll be good. Um, right, and then I think we can finally move into our spotlight section on Women of the Galaxy. So, yeah, but this is a book we've both had for a while because I believe you got your copy well before Christmas and that's when I got mine. Yeah, I had mine pre-ordered. I was so excited for it. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful book. It's one of those lovely coffee table books. It's just great to like pick up and flick through and land on a random page and read about the character because, yeah, it's not a book you really read from cover to cover, if that makes sense. But it's a wonderful book for dipping in and out. Yeah, it's really special. Um, the artwork is absolutely amazing, and I really love that all of the art is produced by female and non-binary artists. Yes, um, and written by Amy Ratcliffe as well, who is clearly such a big fan, and someone especially who loves so many of the female characters. Like I can't really think of anyone better to have written this, to be honest. Yeah, no, and every entry I've read, it just oozes enthusiasm and love for these characters, which yeah, is exactly what you want in a book like this. Right, yep. So basically the way I decided to structure this was by choosing a few categories and then we would each choose a character for that character for that category. And yeah, then we just have a bit of a discussion about why those characters are meaningful and why they fit into that category so well and so on and so forth. I've got to say, it was really hard to choose just one character <laughs> per category. And also there were others that I wanted to mention that didn't quite fit into them, but Maybe we can save those for the end for like an honourable mention. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's absolutely what we should do. When I first proposed this to Kirsty, I was a bit like, oh man, I feel mean, I'm really limiting us with this. (laughs) But it's hard because you've got to strike the right balance between mentioning all the awesome characters we'd like to bring up and also having a bit of a structure. So yeah, hopefully this is like a middle ground because we still get to mention quite a few. Yeah, the beauty of the book is that it highlights how many there are in canon. Yeah, th- um, there really are. One one interesting thing I did with the book when I got it for Christmas is I gave it to my dad and I got him to flick through and pick out how many female characters he actually recognised. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of them are from books and TV shows, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. As you can imagine, the number was very few. But I think that's a great thing about the book is that you go through and there's all these new characters that you would have no idea existed. So like just the visuals of some of the characters made them jump out to me. And I was like, ooh, I like that person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. So for the first category, we have character we find the most inspirational. And if I were clever in editing, I'd probably add a little drum roll here. 
but I don't think I will just because it's too time consuming. Um, but yeah, my pick for this category is Leia. And what's your pick, Kirsty? Ray. Awesome. So <laughs> I think it makes sense that we'd choose big hitters for this category because, yeah, I think for me, when you say inspirational, you are going to be choosing characters who achieve pretty great big things. So, yeah, it makes sense that we'd choose like these pivotal characters from two trilogies. Um, yeah, so for you, Kirsty, do you want to like sum up a bit why you felt Ray was so inspirational? Um, yeah, I mean, Ray is one of the most inspirational Star Wars characters for me. I relate to her deeply, mm-hmm. um, especially the pain of her past and coming to terms with that and kind of moving past that denial. Yes. The Force Awakens was really important for me in seeing that because it was obviously something that she was struggling with there. Yes. But The Last Jedi brings it to the forefront in a way that is super impactful for her character development and for the story as a whole, mm-hmm. which is really special because it really does position her as the main character. Like, we're, we're tracking that story. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think that Rey has been very inspirational in general. Yeah. Um, she has brought so many new female fans to the fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just female fans, but you can't really undersell how important it is for us to finally have this young female protagonist. Yes. Um, so obviously, boys will like her too. Yeah. But I think it's really special and really important for young girls and women to see themselves represented on screen that way. Yeah. No, I think that's really beautifully put, Kirsty. And yeah, I, I fully endorse everything you've just said, to be honest. That's the beauty of doing it this way with us each picking someone. Because yeah, there's going to be lots of crossover in our opinions. Because I'm sure we both find Ray very inspirational. But yeah, just for the sake of giving us both a piece, then it's helpful to pick a person. Uh, yeah, and for me, for Leia, um, yeah, I think I find her so inspirational because she goes through so much. I think probably more than any other character in the whole of Star Wars, to be honest. And, of course, the scale of what she goes through is to a ludicrous extreme. It's not, like, on a human level in that, like, she literally sees her whole planet blown up with everyone she loves gone with it. And she has to deal with her son, like, being sent away because of his powers and then she has to deal with her son murdering her husband, which is just unimaginable. And just all the hopelessness and despair she must feel around those events. And yet she still manages to hold on to herself and remain afloat despite all that suffering and all that pain. And yeah, it's just such an immense strength that she has that I really admire and I think anyone can look up to. I think it's a very hard strength to replicate because I think most people would fall apart if dealt with any one of those situations. But I think as an icon and a role model, yeah, it's difficult to get much better than Leia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in many ways, while they're different characters, you can say that Leia is sort of a precursor for Rey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because there's these common traits between both of the characters. There's the resilience, just the like overcoming like these dire circumstances and yeah I I really like that because they both come from such different places and that Leia obviously started out life with lots of privilege and a nice happy secure family life and Rey didn't really have any of that her childhood was so insecure fundamentally and 
yet we still see them dealing with these common struggles and trials and finding resilience and strength despite that and yes it's so inspirational Mm -hmm. another thing that i find so inspirational about ray is her compassion yes um and obviously that's a theme that runs through star wars you know people aren't punished for their compassion in star wars it's not like a cautionary tale of oh you shouldn't have trusted people or you shouldn't have loved yes um but it's a reminder to to us what truly matters in life and that's why i really love her forces of destiny episodes as well yeah no they might they might have been kind of forgotten in the larger fandom at this point but they're really special to me because there are so many examples of ray showing kindness towards people who maybe on the surface might not look like they deserve it yeah and you see that in the star wars adventures comics as well with her and uncar plot yeah and of course you see it in the in the trilogy as well yeah no i completely agree with all of that and yeah it's interesting because it's not that leia isn't compassionate but i think that leia shows that she cares in a very different way from ray because for leia showing she cares is about doing things on this higher political level that's how she demonstrates like her investment in people basically she fights at this very high level was for ray her compassion it's much more personal and it's much more individual and yeah i think that's important because it feels much more achievable if that makes sense so it's Mm -hmm. like we can all become political leaders but i think we can all show compassion and kindness to the people around us on a personal level and yeah i think that sort of small scale like compassion is so key yeah the artwork for ray's section is really stunning as well there's several pieces there's one of her kind of similar to how our older scavengers hold artwork looked actually yes um in jakku get up with like the stormtrooper custom <laughs> uh goggles yeah oh wow yeah i'm looking at that piece now you're right <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then the next one is her in the forest on Starkiller Base where she finally grabs the saber and decides to fight Kylo, which is another amazing moment in the story. Yeah, it's so pivotal. And then there's another one of her with Kylo against the Praetorian Guards, um, which is obviously another really special moment. Yeah, and I love the use then, of colour in that one. I love how yeah. everything's red apart from Ray. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. And then the last one is of her lifting the rocks at the end. So all of these moments are really important to her journey. So I think they were really great choices. And the the artwork styles are so different, but they're all distinctively Ray. Yeah, exactly. They really capture the essence of the character, which which is awesome. And yeah, with the Leia artwork, which I just want to run through quickly, because that's a great idea. <laughs> um, we start off with a beautiful portrait of her in her A New Hope get out, complete with the white dress and the hood looking very beautiful as you'd expect then we get her in Jabba's palace removing her disguise which is awesome so I remember loving that whole sequence so much as a child it was just one of the most exciting things because I love disguises and creeping about places secretly so yeah that just spoke to some inner part of me on a really steep level and then we have Leia with Wicket which what else needs to be said Leia and Wicket the best double act okay i want their spin-off i want to see that show but although we got some of that in forces of destiny to be fair we did yeah which made me happy yeah no it's awesome it's a sucker i needed um and then finally we have general leia in her awesome cloak from the last jedi 
which I want to commend because that is perhaps the best Leia looked in all of the sequel trilogy. It was a great look for her. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. So yeah, no, both awesome ladies. Right, then the next category we want to discuss is the character we want to learn more about. And just to clarify, I mean that these are characters who do have quite a bit of coverage in like canon media, like whether that's the books or the comics, but we just haven't read the extra material that's out there for those characters yet. So yeah, my pick is Ray Sloan. And for you, Kirsty? Dr. Afra. Awesome. Yeah. Because I'm conscious that there is so much out there about Ray Sloan. I feel like she's popped up in so many of these new EU books. And I just haven't like got around really to reading any of them. I've read excerpts from Empire's End that she's involved with. Which really made me intrigued about the character and want to learn more about her. But I haven't read a whole story about her yet. So I need yeah, to work she's, on that. <laughs> she's my favourite part of Aftermath because... I mean, her relationship with Gallius Rax is absolutely fascinating. Right. And she has the most tenacious... Like, you talk about Leia being determined in principle, mm. but, like, conversely, it's almost like Ray Sloan could be seen as a foil to Leia, like, on the Empire side, because she's just the most determined character I've ever seen. Her ambition, you know, she wants to lead the, the Empire into its revival. Mm. And I guess that's, like, thinking about the First Order. Yeah. Um yeah so it's like there's there's so much there and then all of a sudden it's gone and you don't know what happened to her yeah and you get that weird passage in the last jedi novelization where snoke mentions her in passing as like someone who people thought would be the leader of the first order no one predicted that it was going to be snoke but it's mm. like well what did happen to her then did you kill her yeah no which is so enticing isn't it because you just know there's going to be so many more stories to tell about this character like I hope so. in the run-up to force awakens so yeah hopefully we get those i like to imagine that there's going to be lots of shakespearean stuff going on with the huxes and ray sloan and then as snoke gets into the picture he turns into this like shadowy puppet master working on working away in the background mm-hmm. yeah it's because it's weird to think about like Hux's father survived well into Hux's adulthood. Yeah. Right? It wasn't until Phasma came around that he was like, oh, yeah, actually, I'm going to get her to kill him. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. So they were clearly players for a long time. And yeah, there's also that fascinating part in Empire's End where Ray Sloan actually sticks her neck out for the small Armitage Hux. So she seems to take his side against his father, which is fascinating because. It's like, did that yield fruit in the future when Hux became a young man and actually powerful in his own right? Was there some sort of allegiance there when he was a grown man? And yeah, just so many questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she has good instincts about who's going to end up being superior in that relationship in the end. Yeah. So whether that pays off or not, or if she's already out of the picture by then, we don't know, because she's not mentioned in Phasma, right? Yes, that's correct, my knowledge, yeah. So yeah, how about Dr. Afra? Because that's a character that really intrigues me as well, because I've seen her so much. I see her image everywhere. And I know the basic concept of the character. She's sort of like this... She's introduced in the Vader comic, and she started out as this like intergalactic archaeologist. Is that right? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm putting her down because I know so little about her. You know, same kind of things as you're saying. Like, I know that she's an archaeologist, and that she has this really strange relationship with Vader mm. that it's you know obviously a professional one but then over time presumably they get to know each other personally but it's like how much of him as Anakin or Vader is she even able to see like yeah. 
how much is he prepared to share? Is it just that he's like using her for her knowledge? Um, she has a very distinctive look with the tattoos and the goggles and everything. Um, and also, I just like that she's one of the few confirmed gay characters in Star Wars media. Yes. Um, in, in this book, it says that she um, started dating Sana Staros after they met at university, but later, Sana tries to kill her. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> That's clearly, a complicated relationship. <laughs> yeah, a lot goes down and it's got to yeah. be juicy. So I, I want to know more about that. That's so interesting. Like, do you have a sense of whether she's involved with Sana before or after Sana's involved with Han? I think it's before then, but right. I don't know. So yes. someone might be shouting at me, correcting me right now. Yeah. But, um, God, you yeah. could draw some sort of like really complicated web diagram of all the interrelationships <laughs> between these characters. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I think it has to be before, um, just based on the age that Han would be when Sana... Well, I don't know, actually. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, but in the book, it says that she's known for her fast talk and cutting humor, which I would just love to see how Vader reacts to that. Yeah, it seems like such a <laughs> weird double act, doesn't it? It's like, yeah. how much tolerance will he have for that sort of thing? Yeah. And I know we're not out of this category yet, but this w- she was actually a contender with me for this reason, because I was like, oh, this is someone who I think I could get really into. It sounds so compelling. Um, a quote from her her section it says she has no commitment to either side but sees the rebels as particularly misguided darth vader and dr afra writer kieran gillen addresses afra's personal moral path she believes in the empire in a weird way she just doesn't really want to obey them she kind of thinks the empire is probably on the larger scale of things good Mm. so that's fascinating because the idea of believing in the empire but it's a totalitarian system but she doesn't want to obey it's yeah like kind of hilarious so like, oh yeah that's good for other people but i'm gonna do what i want <laughs> yeah there's so many contradictions in that yeah. like just like people in real life <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's great so. yeah no she seems so interesting yeah it sounds like she's kind of out for herself but there's apparently one point where she helps leia get out of a scrape oh wow where she's in like a hostage situation so it's like how does that come up yeah um yeah, so I've got to take a look at these comics. Yeah, I think I need to start looking at these when they're bundled together as like graphic novels. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, because I can't do individual issues. They're just too insubstantial for me, I think. Yeah, I waited for that with the Star Wars Adventures comics and I really enjoyed those. Nice. So. Yeah, and those worth the patience. Um, yeah, and Ray Sloan, have you read um, any of the books besides Aftermath that she's involved in? No, I haven't read A New Dawn. So. Right, yeah. No, so I was thinking that's one I'm intrigued to read because I guess that would be pretty early in Sloane's career, right? Um, I would think, well, yeah, because that's Hera and Kanan are the main characters in that, right? Yes, that's right. And I think yeah. it's quite a young Kanan. So I, I presume not that long after the events of Revenge of the Sith. So right. yeah, I presume that Sloane is like a youngish officer at that point. So... Yeah, I kind of feel like I want to start there so I can see her early in her career and then jump forward to Aftermath where she'll be more established. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, lots to enjoy there. Right. And then the next category is the character of the most intriguing morality. So I feel like my choice here is really obvious because I talk about this character quite a bit. But yeah, my choice is Kira. She probably would have been my choice, but... <laughs> Sorry. I can't pick the same one, but I, I've gone for someone else I love too. But yeah, I think yours is a very good choice. Um, I chose Sienna. Yeah, which I also think is a great choice. I had considered her for this category, to be honest. 
and I kind of hoped that you'd pick her so I'm glad you did because <laughs> yeah no she's great um yeah I think Kira is so layered and interesting and that was really driven home for me especially after I read Most Wanted because that gets so much deeper into who she is as a person and where she's coming from and what her thought processes are because yeah like I've seen so many like simplistic readings of what happened with her in Solo where the suggestion is basically that oh yeah she just turned her back on Han and just like decided to climb the ladder by herself just like being all self-serving and everything and to me that sort of take on how Kira ended up in Solo kind of defeats what they were going for so I think the whole point is that it wasn't just one thing that was happening it was that yes she's progressing in her career in the criminal underworld and she's climbing another rung of the ladder but she's also lost something that's so important to her in that she's losing that connection with Han that she really cherishes and feels like is this link to this more pure perhaps innocent person that she was once upon a time and she feels that by letting him go she's probably letting that part of herself go as well you can see this real sadness and regret within her I think when she contemplates that and yeah I, I just really love the character and I find the way she was layered and made to feel real in those kinds of ways really fascinating yeah that's an amazing scene yeah and I think Amelia Clark does a really good job as well just with the facial acting so it is so much about what she gets across of her eyes and just the sorrow in her face and yeah I think she's a much better actress than she's given credit for a lot of the time to be honest uh so for Sienna I mean I don't know where to start to be honest because her morality sort of defines the plot of Lost Stars really Mm. probably more so than Thane's to be honest because when he defects it's not even for a principle it's just like well I don't know how to explain it but he's not particularly He's not pro-rebellion, he just doesn't want to be with the Empire anymore. Doesn't he leave the Empire after Alderaan? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's somewhat driven by principle, but I don't know. It's He's not in the same way as Sienna. He gets quite frustrated with Sienna and, and her principles and how much they guide her. Yeah, I think you're right, because he leaves it out of horror and outrage, but he doesn't leave it to find something else. He just kind of like muddles along and just does random stuff for a while, doesn't he? So he's yeah. not leaving one cause for a different cause. Whereas Sienna is always very much about this is right, this is what I believe in, and that's why I'm doing it. She's quite firm in her convictions. Yeah. What I find so appealing about Sienna is that her loyalty and sense of honour, they're admirable traits, but ultimately misplaced. Yes. So there's so much wonderful tension and torment in Lost Stars, and you feel you feel like kind of like Thane, frustrated on some level with her, but also in a way that's like grudging admiration because she's prepared to give her life to this cause. Yeah. Um, and it really starts on early when she's talking about, well, when she's thinking about her sister and how she's living her life for her too. Yeah. Um, that she's really not so much about the sense of individuality. She feels like a cog in a machine that's something larger. Yeah. And that's what she wants to dedicate her life to. Which is quite powerful to have in a love story, I think, because it would be so easy to just have her fold because of love. And do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like, there's always this core of who she is as a person, and that's what's driving her actions. 
And the love yeah. for Fane is obviously very important, but it doesn't really direct her actions, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me of the fact that I appreciate that about a lot of female characters in Star Wars, actually, because you're talking about Kira and Han. That's quite similar. But I also think it about Rey. Yeah. And and that's what makes her so memorable, too, because she has these difficult cho- choices to make in The Last Jedi. Mm. Well, they're difficult in some ways and easy in another because, you know, she can't contemplate doing things the way that they're offered. Yeah. So it's like, well, no, there's there's no way I can accept that offer, but it's not it's not easy to, yeah. to leave you. Exactly. Um, it's about looking inward and appreciating who you are as a person and having that conviction and acting accordingly. Yeah. And it, just at the end of the novel, it's really powerful as well. When she's talking to Thane, there's a quote here in the book. Um, I was so dedicated to honour that I became a war criminal. Mm. And this is another another story that I really want to see how it ended up after the story of Lost Stars. Because yeah. it's like, what the hell happened to Sienna and Thane? Because she doesn't think she deserves to live at that point. She mm. deserves to be punished. Or at least treated like... Treated for the, the actions that she has taken and the, the things that she's been a part of. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, who knows what happened there. Yeah, no, there's so much room for Lost Stars too. We need it. Please, Claudia, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's extremely interesting to discuss. And yeah, I, I think with a character like Kira and like her driving forces is also interesting because you get this sense that she doesn't like who she's becoming as a person, but it's more like she feels like there's no way out for her now. So she kind of feels trapped by it. And I found it interesting. So when I was reading Women of the Galaxy, that choice that she makes at the end to like assume the ring and contact Maul, I saw that presented by the author in that book as like a moment of self-determination and like her deciding where her future is going to take her. And I just found that so interesting because that's not the vibe I got from it at all. I got the vibe, it's like, I have no choice but to be in this world. And if I have to be in this world, I'm going to choose to be in the strongest position I can, but I still don't want to be here. Yeah, you f- you really feel for Kira because she's been dealt such a shitty hand in life. Yeah. You know, exactly. she really came from nothing, which is interesting because you can have so much empathy for her, even with those choices she's making. But then we have, again, I'm bringing it back to Ray. <laughs> um, <laughs> she had nothing, but still manages to make what we would consider the right choices yes but it doesn't mean that we think of kira as evil yeah no exactly like i certainly never got that vibe from her it's just a person in a really tough situation that she has to navigate in the best way she can so yeah they're fascinating characters great also great testaments to what's being done under this new regime like so i think that star wars has always had interest in layered female characters but I think that under Disney, they're really like putting an emphasis on how women attached to the wrong side, in air quotes, can still be so like complex and like morally muddy. And I know you have characters like Asajj Ventress and like other characters from the Clone Wars who exemplify that as well. But it's just a good tradition to see kept up and explored in recent times. Definitely. So yeah, it's all good. All right. And then the next category, so this is the penultimate one, so we have five categories altogether, is the character that we want to see explored more in the canon. 
So this is basically a character where they definitely exist. They are a person, like whether in the movies or the books or whatever, but they've only appeared briefly and we don't know much about them slash we don't have many stories about them. And my pick for this is Bazine Natal, who's the informer for the First Order in Maz's castle in The Force Awakens. And who's it for you, Kirsty? Well, <laughs> I have a cheat answer first mm-hmm. because I was going to put Lovey um, oh, that's from a The good Last one. Jedi, Lily Cole's character, but she's not actually in the book. Yeah, which is sad. Life and Lovey justifies I mean, what... place. <laughs> I guess there's the information from the visual dictionary about how she's trying to become Master Codebreaker herself, but there's not that much else to go on. I just think she's fab, and I love how that moment kind of undercurrents in the the themes of the movie and the trilogy in general, I suppose, of like, hey, maybe you should listen to the women around you. Yes. Um, but so my actual answer is um, V. Maradi, or mm-hmm. V. Maradi, I never know how to pronounce her first name, from the Phasma novel. Right, yep. Which is such a great character. Like that yeah. character and Cardinal in that book, they just make it. <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm aware, that's the only place she's appeared. I don't know if she's been in any comics yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, as you say, her dynamic with Cardinal is by far the most interesting thing about that book. Yes. Um, and yeah, again, I want to see more of her yeah. because she's so smart, she's so quick. But her compassion towards Cardinal, in spite of how he's treated her, fascinates me. She helps him um, escape Phasma and get away from the First Order. And it's like, where do they end up? Do they separate after that? Do they stay together? Is there a future romance potential there? Yeah. Um, You know, you've got those kind of vibes, but I'm a villain hero shipper anyway, so... (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? I might have been reading too much into it, but I just thought they had a really interesting connection. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely think that was all there. And, yeah, like, I think they'd be foolish not to explore that in some other medium. So, because, yeah, there's lots of rich story potential. Because in Phasma, we obviously see those two characters develop this connection while they're in this very, like, it's very much like a hothouse environment that they're in because it's like an interrogation situation. And so they're very close, like, in terms of proximity and everything. And they have to, like, have these discussions and these conversations. And, yeah, when you take away that, like, close proximity to each other, are they still going to choose to, like, work together and be allies or, like you say, separate? So, yeah, there's Mm -hmm. lots of rich potential there. Do you want to talk more about Bazine? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I will admit that this is mostly, like, an aesthetic attraction because I just think she's such a cool-looking character. She's just so attention-grabbing whenever I watch the movie. It's great. Like, she's a fantastic design. Because there's no one else in The Force Awakens that looks that fabulous. Yes. We don't don't have any prequels-level looks apart from her. Yeah. So she does stand out. Yeah, exactly. She's fabulous and she knows it. I love that she just, like, exudes this kind of, like, slinky confidence. And just the way she gives that, like, little smile as she passes on the information is like, oh, yeah, job well done, money in the bank. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell she's just made so happy by it. And, yeah, like, I know there are a few little pieces of information out there about her. Like, reading the book, I saw that mentioned that she was an orphan and that she was kind of, like, adopted by this dodgy guy who taught her how to fight and shoot a gun and everything. So, again, a very scrappy sort of childhood. 
and yeah, then she became tangled up with this like criminal underworld situation again. It's reminding me of Kira actually. Now I'm talking about her. Um, but yeah, I just think there's so much to explore with this sort of character, and I'd especially like to see a story about how the First Order built up its spy network. So I think we're seeing a similar kind of thing in Resistance, where we're seeing the First Order building up this sphere of influence, if you will, where it's like targeting places like the Colossus because it wants to take control by offering its protection. And I think there must be similar like tendrils going out like in all these different areas, basically, including these like espionage circles that Bazine seems to be part of. And yeah, I, I want more spy stories, basically. That's the summary. <laughs> Maybe Bazine and Lovey could team up. That'd be good. Oh, yeah. I think they have similarly fabulous looks. Um, yeah. They could they could be a cool double act. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Maybe Bazine would be the next potential successor to Master Codebreaker after Lovey takes it. <laughs> I'd want that story. Uh, right. And then we get to the final category, which might be my favourite. <laughs> um, because it's the character we'd most want to hang out with. So my pick, which I surprised myself a little with my pick, um, was actually Mars. The famous Mars. <laughs> and who is yours, Kirsty? Rose. Awesome. So yeah, why would you want to hang out with Rose? Um, because she's very down to earth and relatable, and I just think she'd make a good friend. Yeah. Um, and I, I want her to have friends as well. Like I, obviously, I've talked about this before, but I really hope that Ray and Rose become friends yes. in nine, or at Please. least in the lead up to it, so that they have like an established friendship of sorts by the time we get the movie. Yeah. Um, but you know, I can imagine going to get breakfast and shopping with Rose. Yeah, she's a very grounded character. So yeah, it's easy to like imagine her being part of your real life and just chatting and having a heart to heart and stuff. And yeah, I agree so hard about give Ray a friend, give Rose a friend, give all the ladies friends, preferably with each other. <laughs> because yeah, as much as I love what the sequel trilogy has done for the introduction of female characters and all kinds of different female characters, there is still this real dearth of female relationships and women actually sitting down and talking to each other. We get nice little individual scenes and moments, but we don't really get any fully explored relationships. And being realistic, I don't think there will be time for any fully explored relationships between women in episode nine. But I hope we at least get moments and solid interactions that can be built on in other media and other stories. Yeah, I think because of the time jump, there's potential there for them to easily show that Ray and Rose have become friends and confidants. Yes. Without much screen time. Yeah. So No, definitely. I think that's very realistic. Um, yeah, and for me and Mars, I guess <laughs> I kind of think Mars would be a good person to be friends with because I can sometimes be a little bit uptight and I need everything to be planned very meticulously and I kind of panic if I don't have my plans in place slash if I don't know what's happening, basically. And I sometimes want to be more relaxed and chill about things. So don't get me wrong, I like being planned. I fully intend on remaining a person who plans ahead and stuff. But it's also nice and appropriate to have indulgences where you just chill out and go on wacky adventures every so often. And I think Maz would be good at facilitating those sorts of encounters basically because yeah she's very old thousands of years old 
And I think she'd be a good guide through sort of dangerous situations. She might be in a dangerous situation, but I'd trust her to get me out of the dangerous situation alive. <laughs> Definitely. Basically. So, yeah, no, Miles is pretty cool. Um, although, I, like, I must say, I, I really don't like it when people get right up into my personal space. And so the whole scene where she's like crawling on the table in The Force Awakens and getting right up close to Finn is doing the whole like, I see your eyes. <laughs> like, please don't do that to me. Like, I she don't might respect that. you if you set those boundaries. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I could establish myself as an equal with an equal <laughs> right to autonomy. <laughs> so, yeah, no, some Mars would be cool. Um, yeah, no, so I think that brings us to the end of our categories, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed doing that. It was quite productive as well. I feel like we've done the characters justice of our explorations. Um, but yeah, now we obviously get to honourable mentions. So I know you've written a few down, Kirsty. So do you want to go through yours? Yeah, um, just a few because these were ones that I wanted to mention, but the categories didn't quite fit them. Although Asajj actually was a contender for the Intriguing Morality one, obviously. Yes. Um, I love her so much in the clone wars but also dark disciple it's a really great love story nice um i'm still not okay with how it ends but you know that's <laughs> how it goes sometimes i guess yeah um but the others are aunt baru and shmi skywalker nice and i really wanted to include those because i think they're overlooked a lot even more than characters like padme who i think are getting a bit of a renaissance deservedly so you know yeah um but characters like baru and shmi I think because our culture kind of glosses over characters or, you know, even people in real life, maybe, whose primary identity, at least on the surface, appears to be mother yeah. or aunt or caretaker. Yeah. And maybe forget that those people will have their own dreams and desires. And um, I really, I know I've talked about it before, but I really really loved the Aunt Baru short story and um, from a certain point of view yeah that was definitely a highlight yeah because it did go into what she had wanted from her own life and it's not like she was unhappy with how things ended up yeah um she loves Luke so much and she loves taking care of him but she also had her own dreams when she was growing up she wanted to be in food making like she's a talented cook yeah and obviously we see that in A New Hope um, and I think maybe we see a little bit of in the prequels with her serving food and drinks, but um, yeah, I just, I really appreciated that. Yeah. And Shmi, I don't know if it's better or worse for Shmi, to be honest, like in terms of how she gets glossed over with the canon and with the fandom, but I would really love to see more from Shmi as well because she led such a sad life. Yeah, she really did. She loves Anakin so much that she lets him go, but... I can't imagine how hard that was for her. Yeah. And there's also like these big like gaps, aren't there, with Shamise? Like we know obviously that she met um Claire Glass and married him, but I'd really like to understand the circumstances of that. You know, like as a slave, what does falling in love look like? You, oh yeah, you know? it's kind of weird yeah. that she falls in love and marries him when he bought her, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Did he definitely buy her? Well, I think, isn't that what he said? I mean... I think it would make he, sense. I don't see Watto just like saying, oh, that's sweet, you're in love, just go. I think he probably would have had to buy her to free her. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, if it was from that perspective that he, he wanted to give Watto the money so that Shmi could finally be free, then that's different. But if he, like, 
bought her and then they fell in love. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's like an oh creepy, like transactional type of thing, isn't it? Yeah, so I'd hope that it's less like that. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot that can be said about these characters who are kind of in the background and maybe deserve to be celebrated a little bit more. Yeah. No, I think that's all really well put and nicely observed. Um, I also have some honourable mentions, though I will admit that they're less deeply thought out than yours. <laughs> and they're mostly mentioned for visual reasons. So characters I looked at and were like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, so my first is Trios, who is a princess. And I believe she features in the Darth Vader comic. And she's a character I literally had no idea existed. But I was just flicking through the book and just her design is so, so cool. She has like a blue cloak. She has like golden highlights in her hair, which might be a helmet. I'm not sure. But she just looks fabulous. And whoever she is, I want to learn more about her. So I clearly need to go and pick up some of those Darth Vader comics. Um, my next one is Princess Nisa, <laughs> the Ewok. So yeah, we can see that we've like downgraded the seriousness level from the previous part of the discussion. And yeah, it's just because Ewoks, man. I love the Ewoks. I did watch the Ewok cartoon a bit when I was a child and Nisa was part of that. And I'm very happy and feel very blessed that she was brought back into canon. So yeah, it's all good. And finally, the last one is Tally Lintra. Who, oh yeah, yeah, Tally. Yeah, who is just, I think she's my favourite minor pilot character in the sequel trilogy so far. Pretty easy. She just has so much personality in like literally seconds of screen time. And it's a real credit to the actress who plays her, to be honest. She gets across so much just with little gestures and a smile. She's just really appealing. Mm. So yeah, how did she join the Resistance? What's her story? I want to know more. I think we'll get that eventually. I can imagine someone like Jason Fry writing that book. Yeah, definitely. I, I think she's going to be the centre of lots of stories and novels and stuff. So, yeah, there's lots of rich potential there. Whew, right, but I think that probably brings us to an end. So we've discussed quite a few names there. Um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add to summarise like feelings on the book or anything, Kirsty? Oh, I, I think every Star Wars fan should own this if possible. Yeah. Or at least borrow a copy and take a flick through. Um, yeah. Because it does introduce you to so many characters you might not have ever heard of. Yeah. Um, and also it's just beautiful to go over the ones that you do know and love. Definitely. So it's it's really special. I'm so glad that this was a project that they fulfilled. Yeah. And it's also a great gift. You don't need to be a hardcore Star Wars fan to appreciate this book. Like a big part of it is just discovering new characters that you might have never heard of before which is certainly true of me. There's many characters in this that I've never encountered before. So yeah, it does a really good job of piquing your interest and making you want to seek out more about this specific character, whether it's like a visual interest based on them having a cool look like me and Princess Trios. <laughs> or whether <laughs> She you... does look really cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, was Beautiful like... art. Yeah, no, it really is. It's like, ooh, wow, I want to learn more about you and I want fashion tips from you as well. Um <laughs> Yeah, or whether it's like you read their story and you're like, wow, what a fascinating background this character has. I need to actually read about them properly. Yeah, so it's great and a really useful reference point. Um, right, so I think that brings us to the end of the episode. So you can find me, that's Rachel, on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. 
Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!